Welcome to the Macomb Israel Teacher's Lounge podcast, where we connect students and listeners to what's happening in Israel and give you insight behind the headlines. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here this week I would say by myself, but only as a host. As a matter of fact, I am in a room crowded with students from Midrashat Harova. Who just made the lines on my recording thing go very full and bumpy. But they are very excited to be at Midrashat Harova, and I am excited to be here with them. Uh, It is a very uh, confusing and difficult time. There are uh, a lot of questions and a lot of emotions, and several students have contacted me, former students, asking... Uh, in general, for perspective, context, a podcast episode. And so what we decided to do, we got together as a team, and we decided this would be the best way to do it. I'm going to spend a few minutes explaining my perspective on what's going on, and then we'll open the floor to questions. Now, our regular listeners know an episode's usually around 40 minutes. So I'm going to take about 15, 20 minutes to give my perspective. And then we'll open up to questions. And if it's longer than your commute or longer than it takes you to do your laundry or whatever it is you do while you listen to a podcast, it'll be a longer podcast than usual, but you can turn it off when you like. I know you know that. I'm just telling you in advance we knew that when we, made, when we, when we posted a longer episode. Okay. I now turn my attention to the people in the room as well as the people on the podcast. Let me just say a few caveats before. It's a little weird to do a class discussion as well as a podcast. Let me say, first of all, that uh, 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 everything I'm thinking, everything I'm saying here is what I've put together over the last week in my head. I know that's what I do for a living, so there's a reason you come to hear me talk about that. But I'm only speaking for me. In other words, I don't represent any other big organization. If I make a mistake, if I say something that people aren't happy with, they can be mad at me. But I'm not speaking uh, in their name. And I would also say as a caveat that we are all experiencing feelings. That is true. We all are experiencing very different emotions, one after the other, sometimes a lot at once. And uh, as always, what I try to do is, I try to add some critical thinking, some analysis, some clarity, some precision, and some perspective. And I will tell you, and and I may even on occasion have shown you some emotions that I actually have, because I do have some. Uh, But I find for me, that kind of seeking of clarity and precision and accuracy is helpful and it's calming. It's part of what makes my life better. But that's, you will see that reflected in my presentation and also in my answers, and I assume to a certain extent in your questions. So I'm going to do a few things right now, and I actually put some notes on my iPhone because I don't have a PowerPoint. First, I want to address why is this happening now? Why all of a sudden? It's a heck of a year, guys. You came on an amazing year. Uh, I want to address what's going on in Gaza as a separate and distinct thing from what's happening in the streets of Israel and the violence in the streets of Israel. And then I want to address the media that is angering, confusing, befuddling, depressing you. You are aware that this is what happens and how people write and talk about Israel. You have in your 
adult-ish memories, never experienced Israel in a crisis like this when, when there's this tremendous dogpile on Israel from so many different directions, and then people are pro-Israel. You, you, the last time a, stump, a thing of this scale happened was 2014. You were much younger. So you, you're aware that it happens. Look, I've gone through these cycles a number of times. It's very shocking to see lies and stupidity flowing everywhere. And it is somewhat dispiriting. So I want to put that into context and make sure that we are not contributing to the inaccuracies, falsehoods, bad perspectives, bad faith arguments. We have to be better than that. We have to be part of what brings good into the world, what brings light into the world. So I'll speak a little bit about posting on social media and things that you can do to express yourself, and I'll give a little perspective on that. But I am not an advocacy expert. I'm just a guy with a social media account. Do you know what I mean? And I've talked to social media experts. First of all, I'm not sure I believe there's such a thing as a social media expert. It's too new. But people say they are, and so I go talk to them and ask them questions. So I'll give you a little perspective uh, of what I think about how best to post, some tips, some thoughts, some ideas that you can take or leave. Okay. First of all, why now? We, uh, the, the, the main reason is no good reason. This is a perfect storm of different things that are leading to this moment of explosive, I would say, anti-Israel, anti-Zionist rage. You know what? Before I say this, I just want to tell you something that happened to me in the parking lot. It just made me feel good, and I want to tell it to you before I get into this depressing stuff, because it's upsetting. I, was, I just parked, I don't know, whatever, a half hour ago when I got here, and it was a really quiet parking lot. I think people probably aren't, don't want to visit the old city, I guess. I don't know. Usually it's harder to find parking. And I walk out of the car, and I see what looked like a, a, a cop, a policeman, talking to a soldier. And they looked exhausted. Now, I don't know what they did today. They could have had a really easy day. I don't know. But to me, in my eyes, they looked tired, and I just had this swell of appreciation. Now, those of you who are not from the States, I assume you have this in your countries, too. There's this thing when you pass a service person who served in the military, when you pass them like in an airport, you thank them for their service. In Israel, that is a crazy thing to do every time you see somebody in uniform to thank them for their service, because you won't get anywhere. So I don't. But tonight, I see these two young guys talking. They both look really tired. And uh, looked like a soldier talking to a policeman. And I said, uh, to Darabah guys, you know, I said guys, which I don't know, just popped out. And I said, I said in Hebrew, you know, thanks for, for watching over us. And the soldier said, of course, he said, Be'ahava. Now that gives me enough chizuk, that charges my batteries for a while. And if you understand Israel and Zionism, then that interchange makes perfect sense to you. And if that exchange mean, means, if you don't understand Israel and Zionism, I don't know how I can explain why that was a perfectly normal thing to happen in an Israeli street on an Israeli day, and why that makes me feel like a million bucks, and like, one of, like I won a lottery to have been born into the Jewish people. I'm leaving out of the story that the cop never even looked up from his phone and just pretended that I didn't exist, but that's also very Israeli. And, uh, you know, I won't tell you that because it ruins what's otherwise a really feel-good story, but what can you do? He wasn't in the mood. By the way, he might have had a really bad day. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, okay. Why now? 
there's always a level of tension. It's a fraught region of the world. But we just went through COVID where people were really cooped up. Everybody felt cooped up. Even bad people felt cooped up. And now need to get things out of their system. It's Ramadan. Ramadan is a Muslim time of introspection and self-improvement. For certain people who are Islamist and believe in, uh, I don't know, for most Muslims, that's a time of personal growth and positivity. But for some, for who, you know, Islamists who believe that they have to conquer things in the name of Islam, that's a time of wanting to defeat things in the name of Islam. And so that's also, you will sometimes see a tick up in violence during Ramadan. It's summer. The weather is nicer. You can say that's silly, and it is, but there is almost never terrorism in the rain. War and combat work a lot like sports. When the weather gets nicer, that's when we go out to do these things. It's true. So the fact that it's spring and the weather's nice also contributes. And two ver- that's annual. Two very specific things. I guess COVID's not annual, but the others were the Sheikh Jarrah problem, which are evictions of Arab families from the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood because they live on property that was once owned by a Jewish organization and they never got the title to their property because it became theirs when Jordan said they could live there because they were refugees from the 48 war and the UN said they could have it without title and now they don't have a title and it's a complicated legal issue and individual families are being caught in the in the gears of these bigger political issues, it's causing an enormous amount of frustration. It is. It is. Uh, and, of course, another very big one is the canceling of the Palestinian elections, which, to attach it to something else, are happening in the wake of various Arab countries making n- normal relations with Israel. The normalization of Arab countries the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Sudan, Morocco. Those countries not only making peace with Israel, but making a normalization. You can, we can travel, we can do business. Came as a very heavy blow in the Palestinian world because they said, wow, they really don't care about us. They just don't care at all. We thought they would stick up for us and not be friends with Israel until our problems were settled, but they just told us to jump in a lake. And so the Palestinian people were very frustrated. Mahmoud Abbas, the leader of the Palestinian Authority, a Fatah who works, who more or less is the authority in the West Bank, called for elections to show the Palestinians, don't worry, things are going forward. Most observers, and as my students will tell you, did not believe that those elections would happen because he doesn't believe in democracy. He didn't think he would necessarily win and he would cancel those elections, which is exactly what he did. And so there's a tremendous frustration in the Palestinian world, which isn't historically, which hasn't historically created a culture, I'm putting this in nice language, which hasn't created a culture that knows how to express frustration in a positive, productive way. Unfortunately for us, but more centrally, unfortunately for them. So, That's the perfect storm of things that are instigating this. Tensions rise on the Al-Aqsa Mosque, something catches fire, police are fighting, guys are throwing fireworks, 
rockets start coming out of Gaza and fights spill out onto Israeli streets. Let's start with some context for Gaza. You know that Israel left Gaza in 2005. It gave up on the idea of making peace with Palestinians and decided to separate from Gaza. The response in Gaza, Gaza was taken over. There was a brief civil war between the Fatah Palestinian party and the Hamas Palestinian party. Fatah is a Fatah is a party that has relationship with the West and with Israel, and so therefore is seen as more normal. But they aren't governing in the way that you would expect responsible people to govern, meaning they take money that should go to serving the people and spend it on themselves. They are what technically is called a kleptocracy, and the Palestinian people cannot stand them. Hamas, on the other hand, is a Sunni fundamentalist Islamist organization that believes that the whole world needs to be conquered by their brand of Islam. And so Israel is really annoying to them and they're Palestinian, which makes Israel their worst enemy in the world. And so a lot of Palestinians aren't Islamist and they aren't fundamentalist, but they're asked to choose between these two leading parties and they don't have any good choices. Hamas now has to show when you see rockets coming out of Gaza, an Israeli's first thought is, why me? What did we do? Why do they hate us? And that's a great question, and it's a realistic question. But the timing of these things, I'm sorry to tell you guys, it's not always about us. It's usually something internal that's triggering it. It's internal political pressure. Somebody in Gaza has to show that they're the big tough guys. Look, quality of life in Gaza is terrible. Hamas runs Gaza. Unemployment, if you're under 40, I think it's like 50%. I mean, what's their gross national product for a year? Like $50,000? Like, it's, it's a... It's a they're, they're not, they're, it turns out that if you want to build a society and a culture in the image of the 8th century, but it's the 21st century, you're probably not going to be doing a very good job. And people are angry and frustrated to the extent sometimes of protesting Hamas in a world where Hamas will turn their machine guns on you if you protest. And so part of what you have to do is you have to show your people that you're the big tough hero protecting them from the real threat. You don't, maybe you're angry at us, but you need us to, keep, to stay on the wall to protect you. And so one of the things, it's not just Hamas, it's other factions in Gaza as well. They will attack Israel to show how tough they are. Usually that amounts to a few rockets here and there. The last time there's been a major rocket campaign like this was 2014. Uh, Israel went in in order to create a deterrence to stop them. And here's what you have to understand. And my analogy is, and I'm probably going to talk with my hands now, so podcast listeners, sorry. Imagine... Okay, this is a really bad analogy, but I think it's helpful. So even though it's, it's oversimple, go with it. Uh, imagine that the heads of Hamas have their hand on a violence knob, you know, like a volume knob. You want to turn up the volume of the knob high enough that people look at you and go, wow, you're really tough against Israel. But if you turn it up too high and Israel comes in and smashes like they did in 2014... By the end of the war in 2014, a lot of Palestinians in Gaza were furious at Hamas. Why are you bringing all these Israeli rockets down on our heads and destroying our neighborhoods? And so the leaders of Hamas have this knob that they're turning up the volume enough to get their political needs done, 
without getting too big a smack back from Israel. Although, they also want a smack back from Israel because what a terrorist organization knows is they can't topple their enemy. A terrorist organization knows they can't win militarily. And so you're fighting a public relations battle and a morale battle. The morale battle is to make Israelis despair, which is a complete misreading of Israelis, obviously. But it's to make Israel look bad in the eyes of the world, and that they are somewhat successful over. And Israel can't really... Look, if they're going to fight a public relations battle and a military battle, Israel has to prioritize the military battle overall. I think it doesn't worry enough about also the public relations battle, but that's neither here nor there. That may be where we have to come in. Okay. Israel, on the other hand, is sitting and watching the the Hamas knob go up, so the Israeli military has to turn up their knob to stop that violence. We have to turn up the... So they go to three and we go to four. It's to push them back down to zero. Why don't we topple Hamas? Why don't we... These things are complicated. You will notice that people have a lot of opinions about what's easy to do. It doesn't always work. It doesn't mean that the leaders in Israel are doing the right thing or the smartest thing. It's doing what they think is best for Israel. Some people say we should go in and clear out Hamas totally and hand over the entire Gaza Strip to the Fatah party. They at least don't launch rockets at us. Of course, the question is, if you do that, you're going to have the Israeli military back in Gaza patrolling the streets and keeping... That won't lead to a resurgence of Hamas. Fighting terrorism is a lot like war, and it's a lot like crime. It's a lot like war because it uses big weapons like missiles and helicopters and jets. It's a lot like crime in that there's probably more... It represents an ideology. And you can't hit the ideology. And more people will get up who support that ideology, and they'll probably come back. So you can win a war decisively. Look, it's pretty clear that World War II, I think we can all agree, was won pretty decisively, right? Did Nazism and racism end? Or are they still a force in the world today that still has to be combated? So is Hamas like the Nazi government or like the Nazi ideology? I don't know. This is a real challenge. This is a real ongoing challenge. And so what Israel's leaders seem to have chosen again and again is we turn up the volume to deter, to get it back down to zero, knowing that at some point they'll rebuild. That's the cycle part. There are some new things. One of them is Hamas has experimented and figured out new ways of getting past Iron Dome. Iron Dome is something Israel created with the United States to keep us safe. It does a very good job. So uh, a couple of years ago, they tried, what happens if we send in these incendiary balloons and we launch people at the border to attack soldiers there? because they were frustrated that in 2014 they couldn't get enough missiles past the Iron Dome. Now they're trying something new, which is, let's send 150 missiles in a half hour. It turns out, Iron Dome's an amazing thing. Imagine throwing a baseball or a tennis ball. You can pick your ball. I didn't want to pick an American ball. That seems very uh, 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 selfish or whatever, self-centered. Pick a tennis ball. That's more universal, right? Okay. Pick a tennis ball. And your friend goes across the yard and throws a tennis ball, and you've got to throw your tennis ball and hit their tennis ball while it's in the air. That's what the computers at the Iron Dome are doing with missiles. Well, it turns out that if you throw 500 tennis balls at once, my machine, which can throw 10 tennis balls at a time, is going to have trouble. It is. It's going to have trouble. And 
you know, there are improvements they're going to make to the system. It's going to work better. And when you think about it, over a thousand missiles, it's doing a very good job, but it, it's not doing a perfect job. So the stakes are higher. I think as we speak, the death count now is at seven, and you can't forget that when you get the number of the wounded, you think, you know, there's this natural tendency to think, well, there's the dead. That's terrible. And the wounded, okay, they'll be okay. Well, some will, and some may have a life. And, you know, you have Arabs who have been killed, both on our side and on their side by their missiles. You have an Indian uh, caretaker who was killed because she was taking care of an elderly Jewish woman. You know, a little boy killed in State Road. I mean, launching missiles into civilian neighborhoods on purpose to hurt civilians is really pretty evil. Okay. That is Hamas. What about the riots? The riots is what I honestly, I'm telling you now, I don't have as much experience in. It's a much newer phenomenon. It's not the first time there's been that's uh, Ashkelon. Should I leave my alarm on? That's what I always wonder as a teacher. I do like to leave it on with the volume low. I don't know. It's not really disrupting our lives, Baruch Hashem. But I feel better knowing it's going on there. But I also understand why people say, I don't want the alarm going off on the, all the time on my phone because it makes me a nervous wreck. But there are, I tell, this makes me, it makes me more calm to have it on. It makes some people more calm to have it off. Your mileage may vary. Do what works for you. There's no right or wrong here. Uh, oh, some people like just having it on for their region, like as a security thing. I don't know. Whatever. Okay, what about the riots? The riots really is a big problem, and it's a newer phenomenon. First wave, I think it's fair to say, were Arabs rioting in Arab Jewish neighborhoods, and it's spreading and spreading. Riots on the Temple Mount against soldiers and police, that's more, we've seen that before. But people in, let's say, Lod was where, the, where it got the worst on the first night, you know, setting fires to synagogues and schools and mechinos and automobiles of Jewish property so that they have to create uh, uh, curfews and lock people in at night. By the way, police are not doing a good job. Israeli police cannot handle, it's not, Israel is a very military-minded culture, and police always function almost as an afterthought. That's at least my analysis. As somebody who knows a little bit about policing, they're not great at it. And so even holding down a curfew in load doesn't work so well. Uh, but you also have now, and you can see it as in response or whatever it is, you now have Jewish, what's the word, hooligans, out there beating up Arabs, destroying Arab property, playing the same nasty, evil game of racism and violence and garbage. Now, uh, that's very bad. That's very bad. Because, you know, Israel, 75%, 75 of Israelis are Jews, 5% are neither Jewish nor Arab, 20% are Arabs, and we have to figure out a way to live together. And I'm telling you honestly, most every day do work on that and do a pretty good job. But now, this kind of tension, if it isn't tapped down, can be really, really, really damaging to the peace of Israeli life. It's scary. The leaders have a real challenge here, and it's, I would say, almost unprecedented. Not unprecedented, but it's rare to have something like this pop up in Israel. Why are Arab youth so angry in the streets burning down synagogues? 
I don't know that it's that different. If you take all the things that make minorities angry and frustrated in any democracy in the world, they don't feel they're getting their fair share of government attention. They don't feel, they don't feel that the government is policing their neighborhoods properly, so the crime's out of control. They don't feel they have enough economic opportunity. Most Arab youth don't go to the army, and a lot of Israelis find their economic ladder by making connections in the army. They're, they're frustrated. They're frustrated. Their national anthem is about the Jewish hope to return to their homeland after 2,000 years, and they don't feel included. There's all sorts of reasons that, as a minority, they don't feel included. Plus, many of them feel, or are literally, not they don't really feel a kinship with Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza. Many of them have family members in the West Bank and Gaza. So obviously, hooliganism is wrong and has to be stopped. But it exists. In, in, in minorities, in, not only in Israel, in other countries. What about the Jewish hooliganism? Jews running out of the streets and beating up Arabs. Uh, Israelis and Jews tend to not be tolerant of that, but they're also always a little bit gentle about it. I'm not saying this is why. I think it's a normal thing to happen in Ashkelon. Yad Mordechai. That's a normal thing to happen. It's distracting me now, so I'm going to just put it on uh, silent. Uh, you, You have this in every society. People who focus on negativity and hate, and and it takes a racial form. Very often in Israeli society, we feel so put upon by anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism that we say, yeah, yeah, we have some extremists, but it's amazing how few we have considering all the pressures we live under. And I think that's even, to a certain extent, true. But I also, to a certain extent, don't care because it's still too much. These organizations operate with pride out in the open. Lahava, which is an anti-Arab, openly racist organization, hangs posters. You know, you know, like near the bus station, they have those giant wall hangings hanging from hotels. If they have a gathering, they purchase that space and they hang big gatherings in honor of. We have to be as a society, and and again, everything in proportion. I do think it's a small number of Israelis. I don't think. It's a huge problem, but I think we have to be, the only thing we have to be truly intolerant towards is intolerance. And we have to be very intolerant towards our people's intolerance. And it's not going to stop that as a phenomenon, but let it crawl back under the rock where it belongs. They shouldn't operate and feel that they're an acceptable political party, take that as you like, or an acceptable movement that can be part of polite society. They should see themselves as a rejected fringe. And then they'd be less bold, I think. doesn't mean you wouldn't still have to deal with them, but I do think we as a society have to be tougher in how we talk about them. Okay. What about the media? What is going on? Why do they get things wrong? So let's first separate. If you're talking about the media, that's a very big word. Media, air is media. Media is the plural for the word medium. It is the thing by which we communicate. So the airways in this room is media. WandaVision is over media. 
WandaVision is not saying things about Israel. Social media are platforms where every moron with thumbs has a megaphone and can scream their opinions out in a way. Now, normally, most people's opinions seem to be, ooh, isn't this a cute kitten? Or, ooh, look at me on the beach. I don't know why that's what most people's opinion are most of the time, but okay. When something like this happens, social media gets flooded with morons expressing ignorant opinions. I understand you are not, I am a 53-year-old man. It is very easy for me to say to you, just unplug from the garbage of social media, but that is not the world you live in. So I am not the best person to guide you in how to live a life where you're in contact with social media without wanting to strangle people on a daily basis. I don't know how to manage that. I don't, I, I, I just, I have to admit, the generation gap here makes it a difficult topic for me. I don't know. But you have to understand that a thing posted on social media is usually a, an ignorant person. It, 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 look, if it's that kitties are cute, they're probably qualified to make that statement. They are. Can we all agree for once that kitties are cute? Are there any anti-kitty people who want to really... Oh. But when somebody comes... <laughs> When somebody wants to give their opinion on a hundred-year-old conflict that hasn't been able to be solved by the greatest minds in geopolitics for the last century, and they're going to explain it to you with three Instagram pictures of two cartoon people having a conversation <laughs> because they're a fashion model, forgive me, forgive me, SZA, if that's your name, and I'm not sure I believe it is, Maybe you weren't as educated by Geveret Hadid as you think you were. <laughs> because with all due respect to her European high school education, she may not be the most qualified person to speak out. So if you're listening to those people, I don't know. I think I would probably want to walk around punching people all day. It is. It's very frustrating. Okay. That is the price you pay. Bless you of being in contact with the moron, world of moron megaphones. What about journalists? Journalists are different. They have a job to get things as accurate and unbiased as possible. There are no perfect journalists. Journalists, when they do their job perfectly, give you a snapshot of something they think is happening today as best they can figure it out, even though they basically don't know what happened because they just parachuted into a situation that they don't know about. And they're like, here's what I see happening. I think this is what's happening. If somebody came in the room right now, a total stranger from, I don't know, from uh, Indonesia, came in here and landed in the room and looked around and asked us five questions and then ran out and had to get a report of what happened by deadline, how well would somebody understand what's going on in this room right now? Not so well. Mark Twain always said, if you don't read newspapers, you're uninformed. If you do read them, you're misinformed. Journalism is a way to get somebody's eye view of what's going on in the world. It is imperfect. And so, if we really understand the world, we cannot rely on journalism. Journalism is a snapshot of what's going on today. People call it the first draft of history. But you need to go to deeper sources to understand things more deeply. Sort of like what your teachers always told you about Wikipedia. Right? It's the first surface level. It doesn't explain. Why do they get things so wrong about Israel? First of all, you do understand that Palestinians are convinced that the whole world media is out to get them and totally pro-Israel. Palestinians look at CNN, NBC, BBC. By the way, television media is much worse than print media. 
if you want to understand the world. Television media or whatever, video media, I don't know, you don't have televisions anymore, but it's, it's very good at seeing what's going on in the world, and there's a real advantage to that, but it doesn't explain well. Writing can often explain better because it'll explain things more clearly and it, you can take more time with it, but again, it's still just a snapshot and you usually can't see the images in the same way. So I'm not saying don't use journalism, I'm saying access journalism. But at their best, trying to get things accurate, they're going to get things wrong. And there is a pervasive idea that one of the jobs of journalism is to challenge those in power. Israel is powerful, the Palestinians are weak, okay, we know what to do, we're journalists. Talk about how the powerful people are doing something bad. That's what we do, that's what journalism is. Is there also some level of anti-Semitism in there? Probably. Probably. I can probably find some for you. But normally, I think it's less pernicious than just anti-Semitism. Look, I was a kid growing up when Israel was the underdog. Israel always got the good side of the story. Honestly. Honestly. The 73 war... Wow, look at how mean these countries are to pick on poor Israel. They, oh, they attacked on Yom Kippur. Wow. I can, you can look online. You don't need to show you. You can use the uh, interwebs better than me. You know how to use the buttons to make the pictures and send the things in the tubes. Look at Life magazine from 67. Look at the New York Times from 67. Now, is there also anti-Semitism? Yes, but with all due respect to your Uncle Morris and your Aunt Florence, you know... If, uh, if they order a Coke and it comes back a Diet Coke, anti-Semites hate us. They all hate us. It's not, there is a real anti-Semitism problem in the world. I just finished a whole unit on how bad the anti-Semitism problem is, and it is growing around the world. It is a real concern. But if you always see it everywhere, then that is also a misunderstanding of the world. But do not expect the journalist to get your story right. That's not even their job. And they're not even good at what their job is, mostly. That's why every news organization has a corrections department that prints the corrections the next day. So access journalism, but keep your expectations low about how accurate it is going to be. What should you do to participate in the world of megaphones? Well, if you have a megaphone, uh, by the way, the whole point of the course that I teach is the main reason people get this story totally wrong is they see this as a clash of religions, of Jews versus Muslims. And the Palestinian Muslims, many Palestinians aren't Muslims, the Palestinian Muslims are the indigenous people in, and the Jews are a religion that lives around the world that took over their land. Zionism is the acknowledgement that the Jews are a nation, we have always been a nation, we've always seen ourselves as a nation. Yes, in the Western world that idea is no longer as popular, Many Jews in Western democracies now see themselves as the citizens of the country they live in, and Judaism is their religion. But that is not the normal view of the Jew towards themselves throughout history. And the international community has granted the Zionist Jews the right to see themselves and declare that. That's why we have a state. Religions don't get states, nations do. And when the League of Nations after World War I said, you Jews can have a homeland for your nation... When the United Nations said, you are one of the United Nations and you can have a Jewish state, that became international law. And so if people don't get that or don't acknowledge that, they're either stupid or irrelevant, and you will see the hashlachot of that everywhere. 
you will see people expressing their ignorance based on a complete misunderstanding of what this story is, which is two groups of people who see themselves as indigenous to this land, not being able to come to terms with that. Okay, that's a problem. The problem is big enough as what it really is without us making up. Uh, I saw uh, one uh, learned scholar of the Middle East, a celebrity actress, who I think won an Academy Award once, so, uh, post that uh, uh, this is not a conflict. A conflict is between two sides. This is colonialism and apartheid and oppression, which is so smart to do if you want to make Israel look bad. Because what you're convincing people is, I don't have to understand both sides. I have no moral obligation to understand both sides. I only have the obligation to understand both sides if it's a conflict. If it's not a conflict, if it's just... Anyway, I don't think that's such a good idea. I think if you want to understand World War II, you should probably study and understand the Nazis. But we are not Nazis, and this is not oppression, and this is not ethnic cleansing, and this is not apartheid, and this is not colonialism. That is a complete misunderstanding of the story. So if you on purpose want to misunderstand the story, you can do a lot of damage to the stupid people who think what you're saying makes sense. There's a tremendous amount of that. Ladies, it will not be stopped. It will continue. For how long? I don't know. Into the near future? Yes. Will people misunderstand this story? Yes. Are there people exploiting and projecting and building that misunderstanding for their own pernicious purposes? Of course. Are they going to continue to achieve measures of success? Yes. Who pays the price? Us a little. Because public opinion doesn't kill seven people. Hamas rockets do. That's a much bigger problem. Public opinion hurts us for sure diplomatically but it hurts Jews in Chutz Arts trying to form positive Jewish identities but the people it hurts the most are Palestinians who are being told every day by the world media you guys are fine we'll all together make Israel disappear and then everything in your life will be better because Israel can't exist because it's garbage but we'll all work together to make Israel disappear and then everything will be fine and the Palestinians are like what are you doing? You should have seen the post I made today. Woo! I got I have I have a thousand followers on Twitter, and they all I got fifty likes. So don't you worry, Palestinians. It's all gonna be good. Well, what people need to say is, hey, Palestinians, you've got a problem. We'll talk to Israel about things that we don't like them doing, but you guys, Fatah is not taking care of you. Your leaders are not representing you. They are not looking out for you. And you know that. Hamas is messed up. They're not making your life better. And until you guys find a way to build a substantial social, political infrastructure to build a better future for yourselves, as soon as you're able to do that, you will be able to declare some form of state. And to do that, you will be able to live in peace in the region. But stop thinking about destroying Israel to make your life better, and start thinking about how to improve your lives. If the voices around the world were telling the Palestinian people that over and over and over, they might have a better chance than they have now, with everyone saying, you guys are fine, don't do anything, the rockets, don't even worry about it, that's just a crazy thing, just ignore it. The stabbings, the car rammings, hey, what could you do, it's not your fault. You just go ahead doing what you want, and Israel, it's all Israel's problem. Israel has to solve all the problems of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. If that's the narrative, it, it's very unpleasant for us, but the Palestinians are messed over.
what can you do? I don't know. I know that you get more clicks on a post if you talk in first person and express an emotion with a picture with you in it. What does that have to do with this? I don't know. But I tried it, and son of a gun, it works like crazy. If you say, I am feeling X with a picture of you in something interesting, watch. You get a lot of likes. I have no idea what that means. But if you can say something positive, Israel, while you're doing that, that's good. Honestly, I don't know. But I do know this. If you post positive things about Israel, and and forget the conflict for a second. I started a thing on... uh, was it on Instagram? I don't even remember what it was. No, it was Instagram. I started a hashtag, Real Israel, because there was this group doing like anti-Israel things, like you know, it showed a soldier pulling a Palestinian kid out. You know, hashtag Real Israel. So I started posting, hashtag Real Israel, and I got some relatives, and I told some students, and boom, boom, boom. Within uh, by the end of the school year, there were many, many more pictures of sunsets and cityscapes and people laughing and flowers and hashtag real Israel was that how much did we help the world I don't know I don't know how much of this social media world is real but it is uh, uh, this I will tell you my son asked me today he said he came home he said me and my friends are all sharing but it's not like you old people that use Facebook that when you put it out public anyone can see it with us and our friends and my Instagram we're all seeing we're all the same people seeing it he goes so what good is it I said did you feel good when your friend posted that he said, yeah, but what good is it? I said, we're under a lot of stress. A little self-care is nice. And if your friend made you feel good, that not only made you feel good for a moment, but it also made your friend feel good that he helped out. And I don't know who will see it. I don't know which of your friends is off in college somewhere. I don't know. Will it change the world? You don't have to solve the world. You contribute something positive. You want to contribute something clarifying during a conflict about a truth? Great. Honestly, honestly, and I tell you this, I'm an educator, not an advocate. Meet with advocates. They will tell you how to make a bigger impact in the broader world. as As an educator, I don't know how much of a difference they make. But it should make you feel better that you're contributing positivity in the world. Rev. Cook said, Rev. Cook said, the real righteous people don't complain about evil, they increase goodness. They don't complain about the darkness, they increase the light. They don't complain about stupidity, they increase wisdom. Express things with positivity, with hope, with hope for peaceful lives for everyone. Sometimes you may not feel that inside, so then don't post at that moment. I don't know. I grew up in the 70s. I got enough hippie in me. I can always sincerely hope for everyone to live in peace and harmony. Even with my Muslim friends today, I wish my Muslim friends on WhatsApp, uh, Aid uh, Karim, and, and, and we should have peace and quiet. And he sent me back this long thing. He felt so good. It was so sweet. He sent me, I could play it for you, this long, long WhatsApp. You're so right, and we have to learn to we're neighbors, and look how we get along, and why can't everybody... It felt him so good. Because uh, honestly, I wasn't even thinking about the matzav. I was just thinking, I always send him on chag, and he always sends me on chag. So I'm like, oh, it's Eid. So I have to send him. But he, I don't know, I didn't think about it. He must be feeling terrible. He's locked in because he's not allowed to come out of his town to work. Okay. 
I don't know, maybe I could make that a social media post. I don't know. Do spread positivity into the world, and you will find that is a healing thing for you. I don't believe, as a religious person, that that will not increase goodness in the world. I don't know that that's logically true, but I feel in my heart that when we do, when we put the types of posts we want to see, that that will make the world at least incrementally better, and that will spread. I don't know. I don't know. Never, never post anything mean about other Jews. Please. Please. And I've seen those posts. Oh, this is what you want, Jews who voted for Biden. This is what you get. Is it you happy? What are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> My grandchildren are going to sleep in their mamad, and you're mad at how their parents voted? Like, could you not now do, could you? Light, not heat. Light. Light, not heat. Okay? It's uncalled for. It's probably silly. And just don't. Don't increase anger. Certainly anywhere in the world, but certainly not to your fellow Jew while we're under fire. We should start fighting them. What about those Jews who are posting horrible, horrible things? I don't know what to tell you other than this. Here's how I handle it with people I know. And this doesn't sound nice. But here's how I have my emotional equilibrium talking to somebody I'm connected to who tells me Israel has no right to exist. And that I'm part of a settler, colonialist, apartheid, ethnic cleansing regime. I think they're in a cult. They're in a cult. They've been brainwashed into a cult of I don't know what that believes... That, that cannot hear what I'm explaining. Okay? But there's still inside there somewhere a decent person. And so, maybe I won't talk politics with them, and I won't talk about Israel with them, but if it's somebody I'm related to, or somebody that I'm friends with, that I care about, I'll keep the relationship going even at maintenance level. But nebuch. In other words, if you want to say, I feel, if, some, if your friend posts, I feel sorry for Arabs getting killed in Gaza. Okay, I'm... Why should we not feel bad for people getting killed who aren't terrorists? But if they post, you know, good... I've seen people post, you know, I hope the Israelis understand when rockets kill them what the what Palestinians feel in Gaza. You're striking out at me? And my family? That's that's Nebuch. That's There's something wrong there. That's not a... I don't know. I don't know. I, I've told some of you on some occasions, I always want to wristband WWRKD, what would Ruff Cook do? I think about what Ruff Cook would do. He would find positivity as much as he could. He would reflect positivity as much as he could. I doubt he would have a social media account. I can't imagine Ruff Cook going through the street like this. But whether he's inter- interacting with people or through letters, or I see the example that that's what I want to do on social media. There are different WhatsApp groups. There are different groups of things you can join and then you can repost. Check that they're accurate. Check that they're honest. Okay. I think that's the end of my spiel. It went 27 minutes, but probably a little less because I had that little spiel at the beginning. It went a little over 20 minutes. That's a good Jewish... I went a good Jewish 20 minutes of my spiel. Okay. Now, questions? Yes? Yeah, um, you, don't, you don't have to say thank you. That's my job. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I was just curious about, like, we've been talking about 
we see it constantly on a daily basis with social media, especially like the constant like attacking yeah. Israel or their other yeah. Um And of course, when it comes to like models, it's not like like of course people will take it because it's a big big media platform. Yeah. What happens when it comes from like Nobel Prize winners or people who like represent peace? Or, Give me an example. You're not talking about Trevor Noah. You're talking about. I'm talking about Malala, for example, who just called out against um, Israel and called. That makes perfect sense. This conflict has geopolitical problems. This conflict has tribal problems, but it also can be viewed through a social justice lens, which sees the weak and the strong. And Malala looks at the world that way. So she sincerely thinks she's contributing something positive. And by the way. Again, if, if she had posted, I feel terrible for Palestinian kids in Gaza tonight. Oh my gosh, how horrible it must be going to sleep and not knowing if your building's going to be standing tomorrow. Okay. Well, I don't know what she said about Israel. If she said, you want to read it? Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> Look, just because somebody's informed and well-intentioned and understands the world okay in some regards doesn't mean they really understand what's going on here or have heard Israelis or Zionists explain what Israel is. She, said, I, I, she is a uh, Nobel Peace Prize winner who uh, was, was scarred, yeah, for fighting for women's rights. So I'm sure she's a good person. I think she's dead wrong. Yeah. So it was a post on the solidarity with Palestine. Yeah. And the exact quote is, after decades of oppression against Palestinians, we cannot deny the asymmetry of power and the brutality from Israeli airstrikes on women and children in Gaza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, she's right. I cannot deny the asymmetry of power and of Israel against women and children in Gaza. She's right. She's right. What? use of women and children yeah look we do that too you know yeah yeah we do that too yeah she's right she's right I, I here's the bad news for the Jews okay <coughs> it's not only that people like underdogs you know Trevor Noah was talking about you know if a little kid is punching an adult does the adult really have to fight back you know, when you think about it, are they really harming the adult? With all due respect, and well-intentioned, I'm sure he's a nice guy, I don't watch the show, okay, I'm sure he's a nice guy, well-intentioned, pretty bright. If that five-year-old has a gun or a knife, then I have to do something. And quite honestly, if that five-year-old, if I come back, right now I see an adult pushing down a five-year-old, I can understand why a person would say, ugh, what a jerky adult. I get it. But here's the thing, Malala. I know you're not Malala. I understand how the internet works. I'm not... Yeah. But here's... If you come back this long history... There's this long history of this, right? If you come back after a week and a month and a year and 10 years and 20 years, 50 years... I guess it wouldn't be a five-year-old anymore, so it's a bad analogy. But if after all this time you still see the adult pushing down the five-year-old... Why is the five-year-old still there with knives? That adult could have crushed that five-year-old. That adult is trying not to hurt the five-year-old while they keep themselves safe. 
So that snapshot picture that she took, I get it. She's expressing an emotional opinion out of a snapshot of what she saw. And by the way, I'm not going to say that most Israelis are heartbroken over Arab dead in Gaza. I think that when you're running into bomb shelters, it's hard to have that level of sensitivity. But overall, most Israelis were not under fire. Certainly Israeli culture, and certainly even Israeli military doctrine, which desperately tries to minimize civilian casualties. That's why, after hundreds of rockets and missiles that Israel shoots back, they have a few dozen dead, most of whom are terrorists and terrorist leaders. Because we are. So I get Malala's snapshot view. It's well-intentioned. It's ignorant. It's ignorant, and it makes our life harder. And if I was putting on my, you know, Uncle Morris anti-Semites hat, I would say this. And I think that Uncle Morris sometimes has a, has, a, has a truth. People are very comfortable. They like underdogs. People like Tevya, Bitty, Bitty, Buddy, B. Oh, look at the Jews. They're so cute. And I love bagels. And I like Jerry Seinfeld. Jews are great. As long as they know their place. And when at the end of the first act, there's a pogrom and Tevye runs away, oh, that's so sad. Oh, and I can't believe at the end of the play they pushed the Jews out of Anatevka. Those Jews are so charming. But once the Jews take power and defend themselves against really evil people, they're going to get their hands really dirty. It's ugly. And we're going to do things that are terrible. And for a peace, Nobel Peace Prize winner, they don't like to see what Israel's doing. I get it. I get it. I wish we didn't have to. I wish we didn't have to. But this is what nations do to protect their citizens when rockets are being launched into their country. In Malala's Nobel Peace world, Israel wouldn't do this. In Trevor Noah's wonderful world, Israel wouldn't do this. Here's the thing. In Israel's wonderful world, Israel wouldn't do this. Somebody posted, oh, you know, look at the Israelis in their Iron Dome. If only Gaza had an Iron Dome. And somebody posted a response. They have one. It's called Don't Launch Rockets at Israel, and we don't launch rockets. <laughs> That's their iron dome. Don't launch rockets out of Gaza, and we won't. God, that's true. And so, okay, I get it. I get why Malala's well-intentioned, forgive me, stupid comment, is expresses a beautiful part of her soul. But I cannot let the kids in Steyrot who now are not allowed out of their mamad at all. They can't leave the mamad. I can show you the YouTube video that my granddaughter, my granddaughter comes in with socks pulled up to her knees. My daughter's like, what are you, what are you doing? These are my safety socks, Imani. And if I wear safety socks, and I gave to Adi, my little sister, if we wear safety socks, we're okay, we're going to listen to the rules, we're going to go in the room. And I'll play for you the little clips, you know, my, my son-in-law is sending me. They're doing, thank God, okay. And they're in Givat Shmuel, where they have a few alerts a day. They're not in Otef Aza, where they're under constant fire. So, Malala, you wish I wasn't launching rockets into Gaza. I wish that too, as does every, not every Israeli. Some Israelis, I'm sure, want to kill Arabs. There are bad Israelis too. But most Israelis don't want to be doing this. So, thanks, Malala. You think you're telling us something we don't feel? You think you're expressing something we don't share? Okay, I guess she does. I guess that's what she thinks. You can be a nice, well-intentioned, intelligent, informed, educated, stupid 
person. Well, I guess you're not a stupid person, but you can make really stupid comments. I know. I think I'm fairly intelligent, and I say stupid things all the time. So Malala gets entitled also. Yeah. I'm a little confused because... Me too. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're always so careful to say that not all Arabs have the same ideology as, like, the extremists and Gaza. But then... It's yeah. Like, it feels like right now, so we have everything that's going on in Gaza, but then... Also, so many Arabs all around Israel yeah. attacking Jews, and then also terrorist attacks in the West Bank. So, like, who, what, like, what do they all commonly? Think? Nothing. Nothing. So what do all Jews all commonly think? Wow. Nothing. <laughs> There's never such a thing. Like, what do all white people all commonly think? <laughs> Nothing. Why do you think that's a thing? Why do you think there are groups of people who all think something? There's no such thing. Just like Jews have no such thing, Arabs have no such thing. There are two million Arab Israeli citizens of the state of Israel. Let's say a thousand Arabs are committing acts of violence. It's a much smaller number. Let's say let, let's say it's ten thousand Israeli Arabs are out there doing violence. There's two million Israeli Arabs. Some think I wouldn't do the violence, but I'm glad they are. Some think I don't think violence is the answer, but I get what they're saying. Some think. I don't know what they're doing. What are they out of their minds? They're going to get us all in trouble. Some think, I love Israel. I'm the happiest Arab in the Middle East because I live in Israel. Why are these idiots hitting my country? I want to go out and stop them. There are two million Arabs. There are two million opinions. The tendency to say, well, here's what the Arabs think. There's over a billion Arabs in the world. What do the Arabs think? Nothing. I don't, we, it is easy for us I don't know, maybe from our little primate brains to congregate, you know, to generalize it. It's a completely inaccurate way to view the world. That's what they're doing. That's what Malala did. Oh, a rocket fell? Oh, Israelis want to kill Arabs. Yeah, they must. That's a rocket. That's an Israeli. Oh, those five Arab kids set an Israeli's car on fire? That's Arabs. We're not going to play that game. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. We're not. Right? That that as soon as somebody says, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Is is all the terror happening all around the country for relatively the same reasons? There are no reasons to justify rioting. No, not to justify. Right. But so is it an expression of the same frustrations over minority life plus sympathy for Palestinians? Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's what it is. It's it's Riots are not... Look, I'll make another messy analogy. Uh, in America again. I know, I always go back to America. I'm from there. George Floyd was murdered by a cop. Right? The cop is now in jail. Okay. There, it, it launched a bunch of Black Lives Matter protests. I'm not getting into anti-Zionism and Black Lives Matter for a minute. The basic thing of we don't want police shooting black people. I, that sounds like a good reason for a rally in a democracy. And yet we know in some cities... There were young African-American people busting into stores, setting stuff on fire. Was that because of George Floyd being killed? Not, it can't, it doesn't make sense. It might have been instigated, triggered by that frustration, but there's a whole other bunch of frustrations underneath. If there, probably some of them just wanted to steal a television. But there's a lot, I don't have economic opportunity, I feel oppressed, I feel scared, I don't trust police, I don't feel, blah, 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 blah. There's a million reasons why minorities feel oppressed. And sometimes that erupts in a, in, a, in a destructive way, unfortunately. And the leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement are all like, they don't represent us, they don't represent us. So even if these hooligans setting fires 
By the way, these Jews are saying the same thing. Well, how can Arabs do that and rockets are being fired? We've got to go beat up Arabs. Is that the real reason that Jewish guys are out there? Is that the real reason Jews pulled an Arab out of a car and beat the snot out of him and he's in the hospital? Is because of rockets from Gaza? No, it's because that guy's a Vildechai who doesn't, know how to, doesn't have impulse control of his negative emotions. I don't know what his parents messed up in kindergarten, but, but he never learned to be a functional, responsible human being. He's a hooligan. Okay, so there, there are a lot of Arabs like that too. Yeah? Um, what do you see as the next step in this like, escalated tension? Like, how... What is the end? Like, if, let's say, like, the, the next step is Israel and going into Gaza, like, how does that happen and how does that end? I don't know. What's going to happen going forward in Gaza? How does this end? I don't think it ends. I think we have a natural tendency to say, how do we end this? I think there are problems that don't end. But it gets quieter. It gets quieter. So well, that's why with the Israeli... Uh, now, they may change policy. Okay? They may, they may decide to create regime... The, the two questions are, when you have a rogue entity like Hamas, do I want to do regime change? Or do I want to do, uh, what they call it in the Cold War? Containment. I want to keep their negative things contained so they can't hurt me. And there's positives and negatives to both. right? In the Cold War between the United States and the Soviet Union, if I want to topple the Soviet regime, we'll probably end human civilization. So I'm just going to contain them. Israel's question is, should we topple Hamas or should we maintain them in containment? That's the question. So far, they've chosen containment. To me, that always makes more sense than cutting off the head and then creating the chaos. Right? It didn't work well in Iraq under the George W. Bush administration. I, I, I'm skeptical that beheading and, and regime change will work. It doesn't mean I'm always right. It doesn't mean they're always right. But I, I, I think it's honestly more accurate to say the Israeli government will contain this problem. Saha will contain this problem. But it, do not expect it to go away. Not until they have an internal change that's dramatic. What will cause that internal dramatic change? I don't know. I don't know. The future is going to look different than today. I don't know how. Yeah. Me? Yeah, yeah. Um, can you explain a little bit more about both the history and the political dispute over property and Sheikh Jarrah? Can I explain a little bit more about Sheikh Jarrah? Uh, yeah, very briefly, honestly, uh, especially for the podcast listener, because that was the previous week's episode. We did an episode about Mehran and Sheikh Jarrah. But very simply, it's this. The 48, there was a Jewish neighborhood before 48 in that Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood, which is in between, like, let's say, Meisharim-ish and Haaretzofim-ish. Haaretzofim in 48 was conquered by Israel. So you had this, this Jordan area between Israel and Israel, this little Israel island. The Jews who lived in that neighborhood were pushed out. They had to relocate into Israel. Arabs from Jerusalem and other places were pushed out of their homes in 48 fled their homes, whatever. It's a mix. Jordan had these refugees, and it said they had actually a lottery. And they said to some of the refugees, whoever wins this lottery, we have empty homes. They were Jewish homes. In the uh, Shimon Tzadik neighborhood, for example, you can take those homes. Okay. So they moved in and they took the homes. That was with United Nations approval. Now that's your home. Okay, that was 1940. That was 1950, let's say. It's a long time since 1950. 70 years later. Families have gone generations living in those homes. Israel reconquers the land in 67. Those people continue to live there. Fine, fine, fine. 
Jewish organizations which want to reclaim Jewish homes from East Jerusalem did some research and found that the land that those families live on was owned by basically defunct Jewish organizations. And so they re- under Israeli law, they could reclaim the Jewish ownership as Jewish organizations. And they told those people, those houses don't belong to you, you can't live there. Those people are like, we've been living here for generations. They took it to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court so far has, the Israeli court system has basically ruled up until now. You know what? Basically under the law, they don't own it, so they have to pay rent. So they have to pay you a nominal rent. And the people who live there say, we don't want to pay rent. We don't recognize their right to say it's their house, it's our house, we've been living here. The fact that the Jordanians let us live here and we don't have a, a, a piece of paper with a title on it doesn't mean it's not my home. And if you're legally saying it's not my home, I reject that and so I won't pay rent on principle. They don't have deeds to their homes? Correct. Because of the vicissitudes of the 1948 war, they, hold, they live in homes that they do not hold the deeds to. The Jordanians put them in there, said you can live there, and never created legal title to the home. So then, so then why do other countries not recognize the property of Jewish property? Because the organizations that own that land doesn't exist. Because families have grown up there for three generations. Because a grandfather saying, I raised my grandchildren in this house, and you're telling me it's not my house. What makes this not my house? What did I do wrong that makes this not my house? I was given this house by the United Nations permission. So you're telling me I have to move somewhere? You want to see the thing on the wall where my kids hide is? So is there a Jewish organization doing the right thing? Is the homeowner doing, not owner, whatever, the home, the home dweller doing the right thing? I don't know. It seems to me that you have to choose. Because this happens to Jewish homes also. If you think it's wrong for left-wing organizations to throw Jews out of their homes because part of their property line goes over an Arab line and so we have to destroy the house, and people go, oh, how could you throw these people out of their house? If you think that's wrong, then you should also think what's going on in Sheikh Jarrah is wrong. If you think it's okay to throw those Jews out of the houses, because technically it's not, they don't own it. If they technically don't have all the legal things, we have to go by the letter of the law, throw the Jews out then I guess you can say the same thing as Sheikh Jarrah. But I think morally you should be consistent. If you think throwing individuals out of their home over some big political issue is the wrong way to fight a political battle, then it should go both ways, I think. I think. That's what I think. So should these people be a sacrifice to this principle of Jewish ownership of the land? I I, I don't know. To, To me, that's a hard sell, honestly. I understand both sides of the issue, but in all honesty, I don't know, really, like this poor guy, like, I, I don't know. You know what? Somebody should just jump in and pay his rent for him. Like, enough. Like, it just, and, and then the whole thing's done. But it's, it's, okay, so is it worth the fighting in the street? Uh, does it justify fighting in the street? Uh, welcome to the Middle East. Sometimes there's more heat than light. And we should, we should try to be the opposite. Yeah. Two, retaliate. What is Israel doing to retaliate? Two, blowing the hell out of it. We're blowing the hell out of it. Much worse. Worse? Oh, Malala's right. We're we are blowing up Gaza much worse than they can blow up Israel. They don't have an Iron Dome, and we have F-16s, and we we they are outgunned. And it seems to me rather likely. I'm not a military expert. 
Sahal does not announce its plans in advance, nor does any army. But they are getting ready for a ground invasion. That would entail a bunch of, I don't know, 18 to 30-year-old Jewish young people going into Gaza on foot, in tanks, and, and destroying infrastructure, killing terrorists, putting their lives in danger, destroying tunnels, making it difficult for Hamas to wage war in Israel and setting them back a few years till they can rebuild again. It's, it's, that's fairly likely at this point. We're going to inflict severe damage on them. Yeah, mothers and children are going to get killed, yeah. Yeah, I mean, literally, including including um, an Arab man and his daughter, Israeli. When the when the they've had, we've had Israeli citizens, we've had seven Israelis killed. They've had I, I don't remember the number is fifty or seventy killed already. Okay. If you view this as a numbers game or a powers game, you're going to feel that Israel is bad. If you, view, if you view this as the people who want peace versus the people who want war, you're going to think Hamas is bad. Oh, I get why wrong people think wrong things. Yeah. By the way, I think that's useful. I, again, in my emotional world, I feel better when I understand why somebody is wrong, even though I don't agree with them. If you see Hamas launching rockets into Israel as self-defense, and Israel taking out the rocket launchers as aggression in response to the self-defense, then I strongly disagree with your way of putting together this narrative. But I get it. I just think it's immensely stupid and probably immoral. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so my question is has to do with the current situation on, I guess, how the authority works with Israel and Gaza. Which authority? Like The Palestinian Authority? No, no, Israel. Like, are they, on a daily basis, how, how are, are they, like, what's the intervention? What's Israel's relationship with Gaza? No, like, are they, do they have control on this? No. Like, they're not involved at all on a day-to-day basis with Gaza? Israel is not in Gaza. But Israel surrounds they, Gaza. Do they like, are they in charge of the water supply? Nope. Nothing. Look, if you want to import things into Gaza, and Gaza is not self-sustaining, things have to be imported. They are imported through Israel and Egypt, and Israel and Egypt go through it to make sure there isn't as much smuggling as they can stop, and there is still smuggling. Israel and De- Egypt have a siege around Gaza because both Israel and Egypt see Gaza as bad actors, as a dangerous Islamist movement, that seeks to overthrow both Egypt and Israel. And so both of them practice containment on the outside of Gaza to make sure they get as little dangerous material as possible while making sure things pass through that the people need, like food and medicine and stuff like that. Got it. So there's no... Um, they literally have nothing to do... Like they, They're not in charge of anything in Gaza. We do not occupy Gaza. No. We and the Egyptians besiege Gaza. Got it. it but it's a porous siege that we decide what goes through, we and the Egyptians together, decide what goes through and what doesn't. And people can complain. And by the way, there was a point where the Israelis and the Egyptians were holding back things that the world said, you can't hold that back. Like, you have to let that through because they can't function without it. And Israel did a review and said, yeah, you're right, actually. We were being too punitive there, and the people are suffering. So Israel has adjusted. In other words... 
there are times where it is helpful to criticize Israel because they're making a mistake or they're doing something wrong, maybe on purpose. And, and criticizing Israel can sometimes be very good and very helpful. And the Israelis learned from it and did, and did better. In other words, normally talking about this is better for everyone. Lying and deceiving about this is bad for everyone. And Israel's doing its best with a huge chunk of space. Huge. It's, a, it's, it's relatively small compared to, certainly compared to Israel, which is also relatively small compared to everything else. But there's this big piece of land which is controlled by a group that launches rockets at Israel's citizens, and we're doing our best. So, yeah, it's tricky. Yeah. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> no, because in my outline for tonight, I didn't have Hezbollah. Okay, Hezbollah. Hezbollah. Get out of here. That's weird. Palestinians in Lebanon launch rockets. Those of you listening on the podcast, this is happening right now on their phones. Take everything with a grain of salt till we can check it out. Because early news reports, very shaky. We, but we don't know who did it. Okay. Okay, some background on Hezbollah and the possibility of Palestinians launching rockets out of Lebanon. That's weird. Anything's possible, but that's weird. Uh, Hezbollah is... I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. I'm going to do... Now give me five minutes on Hezbollah and you can ask more questions. (laughs) I'm just trying to decide how far back to go. Uh, I'm going to say this and tell me if it's not enough and I'll give you some more background, okay? Uh, The Palestinian Liberation Organization, the PLO, took over South Lebanon and ran it as a place to launch rockets at Israel. Israel drove the Palestinians out of South Lebanon, drove them out of the country, and then took over and ruled South Lebanon militarily to make sure that other terrorist organizations couldn't be there. A resistance movement rose against that Israeli policy and became Hezbollah. Hezbollah is a Lebanese Shia Muslim Islamist fundamentalist group. It's similar to Hamas, except for two things. They're not Palestinians, and they're not Sunni, they're Shia. They are controlled by, funded by, in service to Iran. They view the Ayatollah of Iran as the great leader of all greater Islam, and so they see themselves in service of that. Normally, they and Hamas would want to kill each other, except that they have a shared enemy who they want to kill first, and then when they destroy Israel, they'll get down to killing each other. So they cooperate, and in fact, Hamas is shooting at us with Iranian weapons. So, I don't know, peace in our time, I guess. Hezbollah is essentially a distant branch of Iran. They are very well armed. If they want to get into the fight, this becomes a much bigger fight. This becomes a much bigger fight because it becomes part of the regional Cold War between the Shia world, the Sunni fundamentalist world and the Sunni moderate world, we are all part of this huge, big, big, big story. So Hezbollah is getting into the fight. That's, that's, now, three rockets is not getting into the fight, so even if it was from Hezbollah, I don't know what that was. I don't know what it was. 
If there are Palestinians operating with impunity and the ability to launch rockets in Lebanon, that hasn't happened in a very long time. Unless I'm missing something, and I might have missed some details, and I, uh, uh, that's unusual. That's unusual. I don't know what they're doing there. I mean, I guess there's enough chaos after the Syrian civil war, and Hezbollah spilled out into Syria, so they may be embracing Palestinian refugees who they picked up in Syria and using them. I don't know. I don't know. You're giving me spur-of-the-moment things. It could be a lot of possibilities. Uh, my guess is Hezbollah is not starting a full-scale war right now. Iran's in, in the middle of a cold war throughout the region, and so they're very judicious. Uh, so think of Saudi Arabia and Iran sort of like... United States and the Soviet Union during the Cold War, they choose their battles pretty carefully. So I would be a little bit surprised if that escalates a lot, but you never know. You never know. If it's a Palestinian, then it's not going to be a very big problem because they're not deeply entrenched there in the north. If it's Hezbollah, it could be a testing or it could be the beginning of a much bigger problem. If you've never been in Israel while a full-scale war was on, here's what it's like. Here's what it's like. You will notice, you will notice, there are fewer young men in the streets, in cabs, in businesses. You will notice the proportion of females go up, but females get called up also. Other than that life in Israel, I've been here for a few wars. My first time in Israel ever was during the 1982 Lebanon war. And there are just fewer guys around because the military, if the military gets called up, it becomes... Ironically, a somewhat quieter country, and the buses get spotty because a lot of bus drivers get called up, and you know sometimes stores get closed. Like, and you see that people are always listening to the news. You see it now, right? People are always listening to news. People are always watching the news. Uh, everything gets a little more intense. But you also see already. You've all, I don't know, all, many of you have gotten notes from people in Chutzlar. Are you okay? And you're like, yeah, I'm fine. Like, no, this isn't a great way to be, but everyone's like, fine. Like, and, and but you also get why people in Chazar are like, is your air? Are you on fire? Like, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. The lines? Yeah, they're not good. But like, but like, you know, like, I get it from the uh, so and when I say that it could in theory escalate that we, we are probably going into Gaza I don't think it'll escalate in the north but it could what will that mean for your life it'll kind of feel like if what would it be like to be in Israel when Gaza's launching thousands of rockets a week and, and I said to you beforehand yeah life will feel pretty normal and you would be like really it feels scary and now that you're in it you're like eh, it feels pretty normal that's crazy that's not a good thing. I'm going to make a terrible confession about why you should never listen to me about any of these things. When I have to go into a shelter, I am so happy. So happy. First of all, it's kind of fun. Everybody squishes in and you make a lot of jokes. Somebody breaks wind and everyone's like, oh, why'd you have to do that when the thing is closed? Nothing always happens. We used to, back when my dog was alive, my dog hated the shelter. So, oh, Sirius is freaking out again. Oh, Sirius Black, you be quiet, you know. <laughs> but also, I'll tell you honestly, when I lived in Chutzpah Aretz, I was one of those people like hoping and thinking of everyone in Israel, hoping it, to be one who's here, I don't know, it's just the best feeling. I always felt so bad. And now, I'm like, oh, now they're all feeling those nice things about me. Hey, I'm okay. 
hey guys, thanks. Oh, that's so nice. It just feels great. So please don't listen to me when I tell you about how. But honestly, for most people, life just, it's like this. Whatever you thought it would be like, is this it? Or is this like, aren't you surprised by how like normal? I understand you were out and then everyone like, no one knows what to do with the first one. Everyone's like, I don't know what to do. You look at the Israelis, you do what they do. And then you go back to life, right? I don't know. I, I also have another mental disability, which is in my head, I always do the math. And I say this without minimizing seven people killed and a few dozen people hurt, which if we stopped and thought about what that really meant, we'd all be sitting here crying on the floor, tearing our clothes, okay? Because families that, you know, families that are lost a little boy. Okay. So that's for sure true. But there's over nine million people in Israel. What am I scared of? I, by the way, I say this as a person whose aunt was murdered by terrorists in 2001. Like, I know the pain of being in a family that does get hit by lightning. But it's still like getting hit by lightning. So I, 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 I am not the most emotionally reliable person for advice on how to handle the stress of difficult times because, I don't know, I, I just don't get that stress. I think it's kind of fun. I want it to stop. I'm not, I'm not that abnormal. I want it to stop, and I want everyone to be peace, and I want quiet, and I want to live in harmony, and all that good stuff. But when you're at Rami Levy, and the siren goes off, and you run into the Beit Knesset, which is at the back of Rami Levy, because that's, that's the protected shelter area, the shul in the back of the supermarket. And everybody crushes into the supermarket, and you're there, and it's Rami Levy in Gush Etzion, so half the people are Arab, and half the people are Jewish, and everyone's kind of being like, Ugh. and the Arabs are kind of like, Ugh. And you're like, Meh, and they're like, Meh. and then some guy goes, it's 315, let's daven. So now, 10 guys, 30 girls, 15 Arabs, and you're all standing there. I love every minute of it. So, so, really, it's amazing. It's amazing. Is it normal? No. Is it normal that my granddaughters are going to sleep in a bomb shelter? No. Can I focus on what's horrible about that? Sure. Can I sustain that for long without crying, calling into a fetal position and crying? No. So I will not do that. I will tell my granddaughters how wonderful and brilliant and smart and brave and courageous and helping Ima and Abba are. I'll WhatsApp my son-in-law and my daughter. What amazing parents you are because you not only made my grandchildren safe, you made them feel safe. And that's so much harder. I'm going to focus on that. And, and the fact that nothing, great gifts don't come without a price. If you win the lottery, your tax goes up, annoying relatives come out of the woodwork, they put you on TV, blah, blah, blah. Okay, but I'd still take the million dollars in the lottery, and I'll still take Jewish people having their homeland back and having power and having having Sahal and having a young soldier tell me he loves me and that's why he protects us. He loves us. He doesn't me. He loves us. To be protected by soldiers who love us. I still feel overwhelmed with gratitude. Yeah. Can you explain? Uh, Probably not. A lot of people, okay, I don't really understand what's happening with like a lot of people are saying Biden gave $215 million to Palestine and then Israel something. I'm also Canadian so I really don't understand that whole thing, but... Okay, eh? Yeah. A Canadian question about American politics, eh? <laughs> <laughs> the what? 
Okay, I'm going to tell you. Okay, how does it, what role does America play in all this? Okay. It isn't. Hamas is not funding these rockets. These are Iranian rockets. The the Qasamim, the homemade rockets that they send. Do you ever have like a rocket hook in sleepaway camp where you make the little rockets and shoot? So if you make them out of metal that's this big, so it's going to land in Steyrot and do damage. That's Qasamim. The stuff that's hitting Ashkelon, forget Lod and Tel Aviv, that stuff is Iranian military-grade weapons. The Iranians took the technology from the Soviets, and they're passing it along to Gaza. I'm going to tell you something. I don't know how things are going in Canada specifically. I know you had a lot more trouble in COVID than we did here in Israel. I know your prime minister has some scandals here and there. Let me tell you something about the politics around the world, probably in Canada too, but for sure in the United States. We have become polarized, not everyone, obviously. Enough people have become polarized to the point that everything your party does is evil and everything that my party does is good. That's bonkers. Jews, in particular, in the United States, have decided that one side or the other is either going to destroy the world or save the world. And in the Orthodox Jewish world, there is a growing coalition of people who think that Donald Trump will save Israel and Joe Biden will destroy Israel. And we'll see the world that way. I got news for you. The United States is a very good ally. Israel is very happy to have such a good ally. The reason the United States is an ally for Israel is because it's very good for the United States. It is. It is. If being an ally with Israel wasn't beneficial to the United States, they would not be an ally with Israel. The United States gives Israel $3.8 billion a year in aid. The reason the Iron Dome is stopping 90% of the rockets is because of the close relationship between the United States and Israel. That has nothing to do with what administration's in power. Nothing. As a matter of fact, it was $3 billion until the Obama administration raised it to $3.8 billion under Vice President Biden. A lot of Orthodox Jews love Trump's Israel policy. I love Trump's Israel policy. Trump's Israel advisors were three Orthodox, modern Orthodox Jews from New Jersey. Of course, I look at the world the same way they do. So I love his Israel policy. I think moving to Jordan. One of the things they did was, you have to stop funding to the Palestinian world because it's just encouraging them. They have to get more responsible. So, bad, you know, tough love. Stick. Biden's going back to a much more traditional Democrat and Republican policy of try to treat both sides equally to get them to make peace, to come to peace. Yes, you give humanitarian aid. People don't talk about politics normally anymore. That's bad. And it leads to something even more pernicious than undermining democracy in other countries. It leads to Jews being angry and hating Jews and saying nasty things about other Jews. I don't think President Obama cared much about Israel one way or the other. Joe Biden really does like Israel. He's just a liberal. He likes Israel and agrees with Israel's liberal politicians. He doesn't agree with Bibi. He'll work with Bibi. But he actually agrees more with Lapid. I don't think Lapid hates Israel. I think Lapid loves Israel. I can disagree with him on this policy or agree with him on that policy. But to reduce everything, I'll give you an example. When I was a kid, everyone said Nixon was a terrible president, but at least he saved Israel in 73. 
73, I mentioned it earlier, Yom Kippur, Egypt and Syria attack, Israel's overwhelmed, we don't have enough weapons, the Nixon administration rushed in America, by the way, before 73, America did not help Israel with arms. Israel won the 67 war without America. You know who helped Israel win the 67 war by giving them the planes that defeated the Egyptian Air Force? France. The world is not as simple as it always looks to be. But it's 73. Now, as I got older, I looked into it. Do you know who told Israel not to preemptively strike to make sure that Egypt and Syria didn't come over into our borders and murder a generation of 18 to 21-year-old Jewish-Israeli soldiers? Do you know who told Golda Meir? Do you know whose administration told Golda Meir, do not take action, and Golda listened? The Nixon administration. Because the job of the President of the United States is to take care of America. So, Nixon administration. Good for Israel? Bad for Israel? I don't know. I can agree with some things. I can disagree with some things. If we look at America as in control of what's going on here in the Middle East, we're not only being not great Zionists, we don't understand the world. We think the way most Americans think. When I listen to Western media, well, here's how we should handle Afghanistan. Here's how we should handle Iraq. Here's how, oh, things went very badly in this country. Western countries have to do a better job at managing the Middle East. (laughs) You guys think you're managing this place? You guys think they're from the UK and the United States? You're managing this mess? You don't even understand what's going on here. Until 9-11, nobody knew the difference between a Shia and a Sunni. By the way, most of you can't remember the difference between a Shia and a Sunni. And you think you understand the difference between an Alawite and a... I don't know, I can't think of one now because I'm not an expert at these either. But it's so complex. And it's so inwardly dynamic. And it thinks so differently. And it functions so differently. And it's so culturally different. These leaders of the world think we're going to foreign policy our way through it. You're not. You're not. You're not. Should... Do I agree with the Trump policy of cutting off aid to UNRWA? Yes. Do I agree with cutting off humanitarian aid to Palestinians who are hungry? I'm not so sure I agree with that. Do I agree with reinstating it? Probably. Is that what's bringing the rockets down on Israel? No! 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 Why are you making an ally angry? Why are you telling the Democratic Party you should hate Israel because we hate you, Democratic Party? Why would you do that? How is that productive? Don't you want President Biden to be friends with... President Biden's not buying the rockets there. Iran is! You're yelling at President Biden for what the Ayatollah Khamenei is doing? Everyone get a grip. The political fights in the United States are not the most important thing for Jews. Because I hear Jews on the right arguing, this is the president and this is the party, and I hear Jews on this side saying, and I will tell you that to my Zionist ears, and here's my bias so you can disagree and dismiss everything I'm saying... But here's how I hear it. We defend the Tsar. The Tsar will save the Jews. We defend Stalin. Stalin will save the Jews. You're both wrong. You know who's going to protect the Jews? Uh and uh. Oh, podcast. I pointed up to the sky for God. Oh, big lines. And I pointed around the room for the Jews. That's how I think. Honestly, that's what I think. So... So I, I, I am amazed that Jews get caught up in these political battles in countries that aren't Jewish as if that's what's making the Middle East run. It isn't. What can the United States do? Nothing! The United States isn't in control of the Middle East. That's colonialist thinking. 
The West can't control the, the, the Arab world. That's crazy. That's, that's World War I level sykes Pico thinking. It doesn't work. You know, if we topple Saddam, then we'll turn democracy into the new thing in the Middle East. All we have to do is overthrow Saddam Hussein in Iraq, and by golly, freedom and justice will spread throughout the Middle East. Yay! And 20 years later, hey, great job, guys. Well, we can't get involved in Afghanistan, because if we get involved in Afghanistan in that war, blah, blah, blah. You know what? Afghanistan, that Taliban, those Taliban are fighting the Soviet Union. Let's arm them. Let's give them major weapons against... Oh, that was smart. If we do too much in the Middle East and the West, it makes things worse. If we do too little, it makes things worse. You're not managing anything. It's its own place with its own people doing its own thing. And if you think you can understand it from there, that is a level of privilege and arrogance that is nauseatingly, unbelievably dumb, Americans. You think your critical race theory and your social justice race relations in the United States and Europe is going to explain what's happening here? It is much more complex. It is much more complex. Do we Israelis know that we have a problem? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do most Israelis not want to rule Palestinians? Yeah. Do most Israelis want to have less to do with Gaza? Not more? Yeah. You think yelling at us is going to make us realize that we have a problem? Thank you. We know we have a problem. We're dealing with it as carefully and morally as we can. But thanks for kicking us in the kidneys while we were dealing with it. Thank you so much, Malala or whoever. Like you're not helping. You think you're being positive and you're not. That's what that is. So, so oh, Biden gave them the missiles. It's, it's Joe Biden's fault that Hamas is launching rockets at Israel? Wow. How Joe Biden got responsible for Hamas? Wow. That's, listen, don't vote for Joe Biden, vote for Joe Biden. I don't care. But if you think he's the reason we're having a fight with Hamas, wow, you're turning your American, not you, you're Canadian, you're fine, you're very polite. Don't apologize. I know you're tempted to because you're Canadian, but don't. I, I mean, that's, that's breathtaking. That's breathtaking. You are using Israel as a tool in your internal political fight to convince other Jews to take your side in a way that's going to make them feel angry at you and is going to divide people more. Wow, that's breathtaking. That's breathtaking. Did you help my grandchildren in a bomb shelter with that? With that? Not you, American person, posting that. Did that help my grandchildren? Or did that make you feel better because you could yell at those Dems and own the libs? I mean, what's your priority? It could be that people's priority is owning the Dems and the Libs and whatever and destroying them with truth and facts and whatever crazy things are going on there or calling it, okay, okay. By the way, you can take a side in that fight. But if that's how you're viewing this fight through that lens, then you're doing what Malala's doing, Jewish person. You're turning our problem into your problem. You're turning it into your lens and you're misunderstanding the problem completely. That's what Malala did. God bless. I was nice to her, so I should be nice to that American person, too. And I am. They probably mean well. But, man, it makes me angry when a Jew does that, because they should know better. Whatever. Yeah. Me? Yeah. Um, what is Israel doing to kind of limit the casualties for, like, the innocent The same things we always do. We warn them first. We, stri- we, we precision strike as best we can. 
We make sure buildings are empty as much as possible before we blow them up. We do, we do all the things we always do. Are we over time? Yeah. Oh, my heavens. Please leave if you are. I apologize. I, didn't, I wasn't watching the. With all the different technology things I have on, I wasn't watching. Please, please, please feel free to. I, 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 that's on me. I am sorry. We are doing all the things you always heard we do. And we're good at it. Just, you can't do it perfectly. Yeah? Um, what do you, have you seen um, Nuff Valley Highlights interview? No. Oh, um, well, we did an interview with him. He usually does a pretty good job on CNN. Yeah, so I just... Nuff Valley Bennett, yeah. I feel like he wasn't, like, he could have been better. Always. I the interviewer was also really, like, actually... Yeah. I'll, I'll probably watch it later, but I, I try to avoid... While the rockets are falling, I try to avoid things like yeah, that because it's too upsetting. It seemed like they were trying to push me to answer something. He did answer about um, um, domestic politics. Yeah. Like, he said that... Yeah, no, it's a journalist thing to put the person you're talking to on the spot and challenge them. Yeah. So... You should do that in an intelligent way and not a stupid way, but they don't know what they're talking about usually, and so they'll do it in a stupid way. Yeah, it's frustrating. Uh, let's say last three questions, because we're over time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's the deal with Harabai? Like, what's the deal with Harabai? <laughs> what about it? Like, um, like, I know, like, I saw, I don't know, I saw that, like, I think it was, I think it was wrong, um, that place, like, went into... Um, the mosque and we're like meeting up people yeah I find it uh, uh, honestly the journalists are overwhelmed and I haven't found yet they might be out there but I haven't found it a good journalistic TikTok going through not TikTok the social media but like a good timeline of what happened on Harabaya so I don't know yet but I am pretty confident about this and by the way if somebody tells me the Israeli police did a bad job or something or the Israeli army did a bad something that's perfectly plausible but if you tell me and I don't know what happened but if you tell me that they were quietly praying in the mosque, nobody was making any trouble or violence or anything, and the, and the police just on their own attacked praying Muslims, I find that very difficult. But you're going to have to prove that. You're going to have to show me the film for me to believe that they were just quietly praying, that there was nobody being violent or attacking at all, and the police just stormed in like, like Gestapo and just started beating people up. There's probably... It's probably more complicated than that. There are a lot of young people bringing fireworks and rocks in there to make trouble. The trouble probably started at some point, and the police got involved, and it blew out of control. And I don't know that the police did everything perfectly, but there's no way that's a one-sided story. I'll, or if it is, I'm, I'll be shocked. Until I get the evidence, I will assume, and it's also perfectly a pattern of thing that people lie about what happened when these things happen. So I'll give the police the benefit of the doubt till then. Last question. Um, is, like, when is this considered a war? Don't get too caught up in the terminology of war versus action. Right now, it's called an operation. There are technical reasons, but it doesn't. The big difference is: Are we just doing air and rockets from outside of Gaza, or are we sending people in Gaza? Does that technically become a war? I don't know, but that's that's the big difference, and I don't think it'll get much bigger than that. Okay, if you have other questions, come up. But it's late, and I want everyone to get a good night's sleep. And I eventually have to go home, but I can still take more questions. Thank you. And that's the end of the episode. Bye bye. Yeah.